are listening to the Batflip Podcast, a baseball podcast from Belly Up Sports and the Belly Up Podcast Network. Here are your hosts, Damian and Matt. Welcome back, everyone, to the Batflip Podcast. My name is Damian here with my co-host, Matt. We are coming to you on November 9th of 2021. Uh, we're going to bring you the qualifying offers, uh, which players got that, which players have already decided to decline that. Um, we have a couple small items of uh, news that has happened already in this offseason. Um, we'll hit some rumors, and then we'll jump into our top 15 uh, free agency predictions that uh, the top 15 guys we decided to pick from the list. But before we get into all that, how are you doing, Matt? I'm doing great. Uh, well, I say that. I've got a little bit of a cold, but other than that, I'm doing great. Um, I've been watching uh, college basketball started tonight, so I was watching a little bit of the Auburn basketball game. They should have a pretty good team this year, and uh so uh, I've been, uh, yeah, everything's going pretty good. Uh, just uh, chugging along. Still, in I don't still don't think it's sunk in about the Braves World Series yet. But um, you know, I'm excited to talk about a little bit of offseason stuff. And um, you know, it's gonna have a it's gonna be a long and one of the more interesting off seasons we've seen in a long time. I think. Yeah, for sure. I mean, especially with all the news that we've had, you know, just the what week that the season has been over person really and the uh you know the the quiet period really just ending sunday and we've already had so much news uh you know just as we're recording this tuesday night but you know let's go ahead and look at look at the uh the players that received the qualifying offer um so far uh freddie freeman was the first one eduardo rodriguez nick castellanos trevor story carlos correa justin verlander rysel iglesias Corey Seager, Chris Taylor, Michael Conforto, uh, Noah Syndergaard, Brandon Belt, Robbie Ray, and Marcus Simeon all received the qualifying offer. Yeah, so that's an interesting group. Um, you know, guys who it, it appears are going to legitimately reach the free agent market and not get a last-second contract extension. And, uh, you know, we'll see. There's a few of those in there that are candidates to take it. Um you know, one was expected to be Michael Conforto, that he was a candidate to take his, but he already declined it. And I believe, did John John Gray decline his too, didn't he? No, he didn't even get one. He didn't get one, okay. No. That's so, right. That's right. Yeah. The thing about John Gray was that he didn't get one where people were expecting him to possibly get one. Yeah, we've had so. we've had three players already confirm that they have declined it, and that's Nick Castellanos, Corey Seager, and Michael Conforto. Right, and I would expect that you know Freddie Freeman will decline it. He probably already he might already have, uh, you know, Carlos Correa will decline his. Most of those guys will decline, but um, you know, like you said, um, you could see. I, th- I think the big ones remaining are Noah Syndergaard that could potentially accept his. Um, Brandon Belt, there was talk about him, although I think he's kind of expected to not accept his, but there's possibility. Justin Verlander was one that is possible. So, um, you know, but the rest of them, I think, are probably probably going to be uh, declining theirs. So definitely, I, I think we've only had, I think it was something like eight or something. So qualifying offers since that became a thing that have actually been accepted. So not too many of them so far. So we'll see what ends up happening there. Yeah, like you said, I don't think and many of these other ones are going to accept it. Syndergaard, Verlander were, were basically the main two um, that, you know, we could see. We thought Conforto, like you said, but he's already basically declined that. So 
it's it's going to be interesting to see how the uh, how the market plays out for these guys. You know, a guy like Chris Taylor, uh, Eduardo Rodriguez, Rysel Iglesias, how that affects their market being you know attached to a draft pick compensation at that point because that might limit the teams that want to uh, you know go out there for them and maybe hurt their overall value. But it'll be interesting to see for sure. But uh, let's go ahead. We had a, a player get claimed on waivers already, and that's Wade Miley got claimed by the Cubs after the Reds put him on waivers. Yeah, so Wade Miley was a guy who has a um, one-year, $10 million uh, option on his contract. So he, um, he you know, he was going to become a, um, you know, he, it was a team option. So the Reds had the, the choice of bringing him back if they wanted to, but, you know, they're We'll, you know, we'll get into it in a minute. The Reds are a team that appears to be wanting to cut payroll down. So um, we're looking at him potentially, you know, they didn't really want a $10 million veteran pitcher. And Wade Miley actually had a pretty good year this year. Um, his peripherals were good. He, he, he backed it up with a 337 ERA, which is really nice. And um, the Cubs saw him sitting there on waivers and thought, hey, you know, he can immediately help our rotation. He's not that expensive. You know, we'll have him for – he's a one-year guy. Um, he could be a stopgap and, you know, really help us out. And they were able to bring him in. And um, so we'll see. Wade Miley's a, you know, a, a solid starter. Uh, he threw in that no-hitter this year. Um, he's had some really good seasons in his career. Um, you know, specifically uh, 2018 with Milwaukee, he was he was good. And 16 starts to a 257 ERA. Um, you know, in this past year, a, a 337 ERA – in um, 163 innings, so he could be a really nice lefty innings eater that the Cubs haven't really had since since the days of John Lester. Yeah, and he's not you know too terribly expensive, like you said, at ten million dollars, and basically to get him for free, you know, you didn't have to give up a prospect for it. I was a little bit surprised that the Reds, you know, didn't trade Wade Miley. They've said that they didn't really have anybody, you know, really calling or too interested in him, but. I find that a little hard to believe, maybe just because it's been so early in the offseason. Had they waited a little bit longer, they might have got something. But it's a really solid pickup for the Cubs because, like you said, it's a it's a lefty innings eater. Um, I think more of it says to what the Reds and you know the A's are kind of doing. Of we just kind of want to shed payroll, even if it's a you know not too terribly expensive for what the player is going to offer your team that year. To to just shed that money is you know more important to them. Yeah, and you look at Wade Miley. One one thing about the the potential to trade him is that it, you know I don't really think you're getting that much surplus value. I think probably on the free agent market, there's several pitchers out there, like another pitcher we'll talk about here in a, here in a couple minutes, that are worth very similar value to Wade Miley, and you could have just signed one of them. So I think it would have been difficult to pry more than just a bottom of the barrel prospect that you know, maybe a lottery ticket type reliever or something out of, out of Cincinnati, um, you know, for Cincinnati, get one of those. And, you know, I don't really think you probably could have gotten too much for him. Um, you know, I think he's just a similar case to like a, you know, like an Andrew Haney, who we'll talk about in a few minutes, be one of the first signings of the off season, but, um, definitely a good pickup for the Cubs to have. I mean, you know, they, they've got the, one of their guys now, you know, and, um, We'll see what uh we'll see what Wade Miley has in store for 2022 in Chicago. Yeah, so we'll just jump over to the guy you just mentioned, Andrew Haney. Um, it had come out late Sunday night that he was going to be one of the the first people to sign on the free agent market this year. 
teams kind of viewed him as a uh, the next Robbie Ray as a guy who had you know really underperformed the the type of stuff or peripherals that teams think he can put up um, and he ended up signing Monday with the Dodgers on a one year eight and a half million dollar deal yeah Andrew Haney has been throughout his career a very you know decent mid-rotation starter um, especially in 2018 he put up a a season of 180 innings um, where he threw uh you know, to a 4.15 ERA, which was backed up very well by his peripherals. He's always underperformed those peripherals. Um, you know, a 3.68 xFIP in 2018 in 180 innings is almost a, you know, more of a top of the rotation type or, or number two starter type thing. But um, you know, he's underperformed that. Part of that's probably been due to the fact that the Angels' infield defense hasn't been very good, um, and the fact that he, you know. He makes he's a guy who who's prone to making mistakes and giving up a high home run per fly ball rate, which has always hovered around or over twelve percent. Typically, has been in the fifteen to eighteen percent range. And this past season in twenty twenty one, with half of his season in uh, in, uh, in in New York and half of his season in Los Angeles with the Angels, he got rocked. Uh, and those peripherals, while his xFIP was still good. And his expected ERA number was really good at a 4.01. His er his actual ERA was a 5.83, and, and his FIP was high. He had an 18% home run per fly ball rate, which, you know, if you're if you know you would hope would potentially go down. And you look at a team that, you know, in in, in at Los Angeles with the Dodgers, you know, it's definitely not as much of a hitter's park as Yankee Stadium. I think uh, LA's park's fairly neutral, so. You know, the, or the the Angels Park is fairly neutral, so um, you know, probably not that much change from that. But um, you know, the Dodger Stadium has typically been known as a little bit of a pitcher's park, and and also, um, you know, Andrew Haney's uh, ground ball rate has, has dropped a lot this year. Um, you know, in his career norms, it being more of the 38 to 40 percent range, uh, he was down to 33 percent this year. That probably you know, led to a lot of fly balls with a high amount of them leading the yard were, was not a good combination for Andrew Haney, but he did put up great strikeout and walk numbers and he's got good swing and miss stuff. And, um, you know, as, as we've discussed, his curveball has been a really good swing and miss pitch. Yeah. So it's more about what the, the Dodgers see in, you know, being able to, to get him to unleash the curveball and maybe a fastball much, um, more, you know, he's a guy like Matt said that had, you know, his ground ball rate dropped this year, but that's a lot to him leaving a lot of pitches directly over the middle of the plate and not getting them down in the zone. Um, but there was an article I was reading of through fan graphs after the Dodgers signed him, and it said that, you know, if he could become more of a high fastball, low curveball guy, that could unlock another part of it because his high forcing fastball, even though it's only topping out 92 to 93 generates a lot of swing and miss compared to other fastballs about that same velocity. But what that allows is it allows the curveball to work more down. And that this year alone, his curveball generated a whiff on 35% of the swings. So if they can turn him into that high fastball, you know, curveball kind of, they come out of the same plane and drop down, you know, maybe they have found something. I'm um, an Andrew Heaney. Also, he's also somebody who's always given up a lot of hard hit balls, usually right around that 39 to 40% range in his career. So that's going to be something that they're going to want to for sure, you know, try and figure out a way to, to limit that, that hard contact. And part of that's going to be just not him throwing the ball directly over the middle of the plate anymore. So, 
it, yeah. It, yeah, I was going to say, you know, when you start talking about some of those guys who have transitioned more to high fastball and curveball type pitchers, which is something that the Dodgers have done a lot of with, with a lot of their guys. I mean, you saw with, you know, Walker Bueller being that type of pitcher. Clayton Kershaw has always been that type of pitcher. You look at, um, you know, maybe even Max Scherzer when he went from, from Washington to, to – to uh, LA this year in the trade, you know, he might've started being more of a high fastball and then, you know, slider, but, um, you know, breaking ball Urias is the same way that that's kind of been one of the, one of their things. Uh, some of the pitching staffs that have been real successful recently, you know, the Astros being another one who kind of made it famous being the high fastball, good high spin curveball type thing. And uh, sometimes when you, you know, Andrew Haney's a guy who's thrown a lot of sinkers and, and two seamers. And sometimes when you, you know, go to that four-seamer and throw it up in the zone more. You might add a tick or two on your, your velocity as well. He might be somebody who's next year throwing more, you know, if he's able to do that, throwing more 93, 94. And, uh, you know, it's also a low-risk signing. It's only $8 million, and, you know, you might end up with a, a swingman type of thing, if anything else, that can eat some innings up. So um, definitely not a not a bad move here. Yeah, not at all, especially with uh, the question marks around the rotation of what, what are you going to – are you going to re-sign Max Scherzer? Are you going to re-sign Clayton Kershaw? What's the deal with Bauer? Um, and what's, you know, with Dustin May still recovering from Tommy John? You're going to need these depth pieces kind of swing man's type per se. So it's not a bad signing at all. But let's go ahead and jump over to just a little news. We'll very quickly hit on this one. But we had mentioned Jace Tingler. He had been let go of the manager duties for San Diego Padres. He has quickly jumped on to be the Minnesota Twins bench coach. Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, Jace Tingler's a guy who he's a young guy. He's good. Um, you know, he's got. I think he's pretty pretty good with uh, analytics and and matches up well with a lot of front offices. Um, and I mean, it's definitely a, a, a case where Jace Tingler had a good season as a manager last year in, in 2020 uh, in San Diego. He's done some good things. It didn't go his way in 2021, but. Um, you know, there's enough to like about him there to give him another shot to kind of rejuvenate himself and, and be in that bench coach position where, you know, he's maybe not leading the clubhouse completely, but he's helping make a lot of decisions and uh, doing some things and, and maybe even learning from, you know, from the management management there and, and get, you know, maybe improving, get better. So uh, definitely an interesting move uh, for the Twins. Yeah, and I think Rocco Baldelli is another guy kind of just like, how Jace Tingler thinks. So maybe Tingler can pick up on some stuff that Baldelli does um, well. And, and maybe if he gets hired on as another manager, that that experience will help him. And, and what he's learned from Baldelli will help him be a better manager next time. Cause he was still pretty good in San Diego. Just kind of, you know, didn't quite know how to handle the clubhouse all the way. So it will be uh, good for Jace Tingler. It's going to be interesting to see, you know, what he can pick up from Baldelli and possibly get a, uh, another manager's job. But Let's go ahead and we'll, we'll hit on this rumor, and it's going to uh, lead us into uh, a little bit of a conversation. But uh, Miami uh, is one of the teams we had mentioned, the, the Cincinnati Reds and the Oakland A's, about maybe being a fire sale. Miami's not quite looking at that, but they are looking at possibly shopping one of their bigger starters, maybe an Alcantara, uh, more likely Pablo, like a Pablo Lopez, but looking to trade one of those major league starters for, a, uh, for an MLB-established bat. Yeah, Miami's in an interesting position because they have, I believe, you know, if you count them, something like seven or eight big league ready or or established big league starting pitchers. But they are, 
pretty barren when it comes to the bats. They have a couple of good prospects at the bats, you know, J.J. Bladé being kind of their top one. A couple guys who have recently come up into the big leagues that look pretty promising, like Jazz Chisholm, uh, maybe uh, Sanchez, uh, you know, but they, they really need to add a couple of pretty good, you know, bats. And they're really not, we talked about Miami a, a good bit before last season, but we really they're really not that far off from being a competitive team, especially with that rotation. Because when you have Alcantara, who I really don't think they're going to trade, when you have him, you add in Trevor Rogers, who is a potential rookie of the year. Um, you add in, you know, whatever you might get if Sixto Sanchez comes back. But you also have Edward Cabrera, who's a you know a very promising looking prospect who got his first taste of the big leagues last year, and then Max Mayer, who is in who absolutely dominated AAA last year. So you've got some guys and then some more depth pieces that, that were, you know, pretty good looking, you know, prospects that, you know, maybe like a Braxton Garrett or something who, you know, aren't, aren't total disasters as pitchers that could end up being pretty good major league pitchers. So you've got a lot of pieces there. And then, um, you know, the lineup, there's just not a lot of young talent in their lineup. I mean, you had, you, you had a lot of innings and stuff from, I mean, Miguel Rojas is a pretty decent player, but I mean, you, you know, you had a lot of, innings played by you know Corey Dickerson over the past couple of years like a guy like John Birdie who's not necessarily a a guy you want playing every day even though he's he's got his value as a speed guy and stuff um you know you look at like Garrett Cooper uh you know they got some contribution from Jesus Aguilar this year and Adam Duvall who uh, obviously Adam Duvall is gone and uh Jesus Aguilar is um you know is still there but um, Brian Anderson, they don't really have anybody who's a potential star player either. Um, the closest thing they had was Starling Marte, but they trade, they had to trade him at the deadline, which made sense because he's a free agent now. But um, it's definitely interesting to look at. You know, their catcher situation is not fantastic. So, you know, they could probably – I think the Marlins would be wise to maybe reach into that starting pitching depth that they have and go get a controllable bat who they could maybe pick up and – um, you know, maybe look at trading a guy like, like Pablo Lopez, who's a really good pitcher and, um, you know, maybe trade him and get, get one of the, maybe, maybe get one of the A's bats that, that sounds like the A's might be making some trades. So, you know, maybe like a, you could look at maybe like a Ramon Laureano type guy or, uh, or, a uh, you know, probably, you probably need more than just Pablo Lopez to get Matt Olson from him. But, you know, somebody like that, somebody who's pretty well established as a good major league, um, hitter and, you know, you could maybe make the, make a move and, you know, improve your major league roster that way. And, uh, you know, a kind of a win-win type move. So definitely be interesting to look at what the Marlins might do. And uh, one of the more, I think that's going to be, the Marlins are going to be one of the more interesting teams this offseason because they don't have a huge payroll, but they're definitely in a position where they're going to want to add because they're close with, with that pitching staff. And when you're close with a pitching staff like that, you know, it's definitely, you know, you definitely want to, especially you, you can't sit around and wait for and see which guys are going to end up being the top guys when you, when you can't just go out and buy more players. So um, you got to make your decisions now. And I think that's something that they could potentially do and it might be wise for them. Yeah, it might really be. Like you said, they are, I think they're really close. And if they were to get a big bat or two, you know, through a free agency and maybe then on top of that, even trade one of those younger starters, maybe like a Pablo Lopez to get another bat, um, you know, and you'd still have a top of the rotation with, uh, you know, Alcantara, you're going to have Eliza Hernandez, Trevor Rogers, 
and then the you know if you get Sixto Sanchez back this year, Edward Cabrera um, coming up, it, you know could be a really fun team to watch. But it, it is interesting to see if if they do you know if they are going to shop one of those starters to get a bat, what kind of you know where they're leaning with that, um, you know what style bat they're looking for, what position and, and the controllability of it. So. It'll be a, it'll be pretty interesting to watch with what the Marlins do this year. But let's go ahead and jump over to our free agent predictions. We got 15 of them, so it's going to take us a little bit of time. But we'll start right at the top of the board with Carlos Correa. Yeah, so uh, this is an interesting one. Um, I understand that Carlos Correa has gotten offers from Houston already. To I think it was something like a six for 150 or five for 150 or something like that, which. Might have been, it might have been even something like six for 200, but it was something that was really um, probably not quite what he was looking for, um, and which makes it kind of obvious that he is going to be out the door. And uh, I think, um, you know, there's a lot of teams that could benefit from Correa, but I, I do think that he's probably not going to be a, a great fit for a super big market after the cheating scandal. You look at, you know, L.A. and New York being markets that really aren't fans of Correa, although they probably would change their mind if they were uh you know if he was on their team but um you know i think that he might go somewhere where he could be a little more comfortable and i think the tigers are a team that is close and they're looking to spend a lot of money this offseason they have money coming off the books i think they're in pretty good financial shape right now and um you know he could reunite with his former manager aj hinch who he has a lot of respect for and um you know, he could kind of be the Tigers version of when, when the Padres signed Manny Machado right before all those prospects came up. And, and he could be the guy that comes up and comes in there, kind of is their leader uh, when guys like Torkelson, Riley Green, um, you know, and, and all those young pitchers kind of come up and get acclimated to the big leagues. And then a year or two, they're back in the contention in the AL Central, which is a pretty weak division. So I definitely think Carlos Correa is a guy who I would look at to potentially go up and, and look in a – like you're looking at the Tigers there. Yeah, that's interesting. Uh, you know, I had a, a handful of teams, possibly going back to Houston, even Detroit maybe, but I decided to go out on a little bit of a limb just because I think it would be more of one of the fun fits. Um, and that's with the team we were just talking about. What about Carlos Correa going to the Miami Marlins on a 10-year, $290 million contract? Yeah, that would be pretty. Uh, that would be pretty remarkable, and I, I mean, that would be a fantastic fit for the Marlins too. I mean, we're talking the same similar situation to the Tigers. They're a team that's up and coming. Um, I, I think that's a real similar type thing. I just, you know, I, I don't know if the Marlins are going to spend that much money, but I mean, I, I'm sure they could fit in. You know, the 290 million or the 29 million a year payroll with the amount of things that they have right now, so they could probably do it. It's just. Uh, I feel like if there's, so. if there's ever a year they're going to spend, it's going to be this year. And if it's ever going to be a position they're going to spend on, you know, Derek Jeter is going to want to spend on a shortstop. You know, they, they did re-sign Miguel Rojas to, a, you know, a two- or three-year extension. But, I mean, that's not going to stop you from, you know, signing a guy like Carlos Correa. And I think he's just the best fit for that Miami kind of lifestyle and vibe. He just kind of feels like he'd fit in there. You know, maybe Javi Baez would be a little bit of a better fit, just having them, you know, so much fun and stuff. But I don't know. I just I think Correa would be a, a guy that, you know, Miami would say, hey, like we're here to really, you know, make an impact, and then possibly we trade, you know, like you said, maybe we trade for like a Ramon Laureano, and we just got a shortstop, we got a, a center fielder, you know, we have our young guys with Jazz Chisholm and and 
Brian Anderson's still there. You know, let's see what we can do now with our young starters and, and you know our new offensive firepower. So, yeah, definitely more interesting. Be interesting. Ones. Yeah. So let's uh let's go ahead and move on to Corey Seager. Yeah, so uh, I know that the Yankees are badly in need of a shortstop, and I think that Corey Seager is probably the guy that they're looking at, or at least that's been kind of rumored. Um, you know, I think that, you know, that the Yankees need a left-handed bat. Most of their top bats are right-handed. You look at Aaron Judge as a right-handed bat. You look at, uh, you look at, uh, you know, John Carlos Stanton's a right-handed bat. Um, you know, and, and then some of their other, you know, role players are like Claver Torres, Gio Urshela, uh, Gary Sanchez, if he's if he's back, um, some of those guys they're all right-handed bats, and they could definitely use somebody to hit from the left side for and hit for a lot of power. And they are the Yankees; they have the amount of money to be able to do it. And while I do worry about the defensive fit, uh, because I don't think Seager is going to stay at short for too long, he, he's currently not a great defensive shortstop. He's he's pretty average, and maybe below average as a defensive shortstop. Although he can still handle the position right now. Um, two or three years down the line, he might end up having to move to a third base. So, uh, you know, especially with his size. And uh, but I do worry about that for the Yankees. But you know, I have him going there in a you know eight-year, two hundred thirty million dollar contract. Um, you know, which is close to the same uh, annual value as uh, you're looking at with um, you know with Carlos Correa, which I had for I don't think I mentioned I had him for two ten years, three hundred million. So. It's a uh, just 1.25 million less per year, but the, you know two two less years, but uh, I think that that's probably where you know what what would be considered from. I think the Yankees would de- are definitely going to pursue that, and, and I think Seager would probably listen. So they probably go higher than any other team. Yeah, I Seager, the Yankees are going to get one of these shortstops. I just don't quite think it's Seager. Brian Cashman has already came out and said he was looking for more of a defensive minded shortstop. Um, or somebody that's at least better defensively than Corey Seager. Um, I mean, he didn't say that exactly, but just the the way that he was talking about the way defense um, is needed at shortstop, I'm not quite sure Corey Seager would be the guy that they want um, to go after. He'd be a great fit in the stadium with Yankee Stadium being a lefty bat, um, but I just don't quite think that would be the the place that they would go at least the uh, with Corey Seager being the shortstop. So. I uh I put Corey Seager going to Philadelphia. Um, you know the Phillies they are looking for a shortstop as well. Uh, D.D. Gregorius hasn't been you know what they had hoped he would be, uh, and I had actually the the same contract as you an eight year two hundred and thirty million dollar deal. Um, I just you know it's probably not the best fit, but I really struggled with where Seager would go, especially because I wanted to come back to the Dodgers so much, but I just don't see that happening. So. I wanted to lean to the Yankees or maybe even a Seattle, but I don't know. Philly just kind of jumped off the page a little bit more to me. Yeah, that'd be interesting. I, I worry a little bit about Philly having enough money to spend on the top, top free agent like like Seeker because of the current commitments they have to Harper and to Real Muto and to Wheeler mm-hmm. and some of their you know some of their other guys. But uh, they do have some money coming off the books, I believe, with like McCutcheon. Maybe it's, it's off the books now, so they could probably make it work. Um, it would just, you know, they would be pretty financially handicapped for a long time. But I mean, it, you know, they could definitely pull it off, and they definitely need a shortstop, so it would make sense. So we'll see, see what might happen there. Yeah, so we'll jump over to our next one when that's with Marcus Simeon. Yeah, so I have uh, Marcus Simeon. 
Uh, actually, I have him coming back to, to Toronto. I think he was a great fit there in their lineup. Um, you know, I think he really enjoyed hitting hitting there, and, you know, they kind of believed in him. And I think Toronto has probably got, you know, they can really re-sign him to the same amount of money he made last year, but just add, you know, just make it a five-year deal or something. So, uh, you know, I got him going back there for uh, $24 million, uh, five-year $120 million total, but $24 million per year. I think he was like uh, $18 million maybe, $20 million uh, this past year. So, um, you know, I got Marcus Simeon go back to, to the to the Blue Jays, and obviously, um, you know, the reasons are shown by how he played with the Blue Jays this past year. So, Yeah, Toronto's a great fit for Simeon. Um, I'm just not quite sure that he'll go back there. Um, he did play so well, but I've I, I, I don't know if they'll be able to to pay him that amount of money. Um, I'm just kind of hesitant. I think they're going to want to lean more towards trying to develop their younger bats and then try to go more on the pitching side um, with Hunjin Ryu getting older, um, you know, and then losing Robbie Ray as well. Uh, I just don't, I don't know if they're going to commit so much to that bat, especially after signing George Springer last year to a bigger contract. Um, then, you know, you have Vlad, you're going to have Bo Bichette coming up um, in, in some time, but I think they're going to want to try to build up that pitching staff a little bit more. But a team that I think is going to be really interesting this offseason, and they've, there's already a lot of buzz about them being super aggressive um, and wanting to spend money this year, and that's the Seattle Mariners. So I have Marcus Simeon going to the Seattle Mariners for a six-year, $150 million deal. I think he'd be such a good fit there. He'd probably play second, might even play third. Um, you know, They really liked what they got out of J.P. Crawford at shortstop, so I doubt they would move him yet. Um, but Simeon could even play shortstop if, if they did say, Hey, like Crawford, let's move you to second base or something. But I think Marcus Simeon would be a great bat to have in the middle of that lineup, um, with a young and upcoming team and, and a team that wants to be, you know, really aggressive this year in free agency. Yeah, that, that would make a lot of sense for Simeon as well. He is a West coast guy. He's from the state of California. He's, you know, played most of his career with the, with the Oakland A's. So that does make a lot of sense to, to send, for him to go back out to the West Coast uh, and play there. So that would be that would be another good one for him. Yeah, so let's jump over and look at uh, where we have Trevor Story going. Yeah, so um, Trevor Story is a guy who I think uh, you look at his season this year and you worry a little bit about the decline he had this year. Uh, he didn't hit near as well as he had in the past but this is also a guy who's been a fantastic player for and has a long track record although it's it is in Colorado so he is one of the more interesting uh guys out of this this offseason because of the you know the fact that he's in cores and then the you know having the bad free agent you know contract year um it could be a, an interesting situation here where he could bet on himself and sign a you know, a really short contract and, and be a free agent again in a year or two. But I actually have him uh, replacing Carlos Correa with the Houston Astros as I don't think they're willing to pay Correa as much as he's getting. But I think that, you know, something like a six-year, $130 million type deal is something that the Astros could handle. They could use the rest of that money to shore up some other spots that they're saving on not paying Correa. And then, you know, your your fall off from Correa to Story, if he regains his, his um, you know, his previous form of, you know, prior to 2021, you know, you might end up having a guy who's almost, if not just as good as Correa and is get paid a lot less money. So, um, and I could definitely see, 
Trevor Story being successful there with uh, the Crawford boxes in left field, that's a great place for right-handed hitters to hit. And, um, you know, it probably doesn't fall off all that much from Coors. So I think Trevor Story to the Astros would be a really good fit. Yeah, that would be pretty interesting um, to see what he could do, especially in, uh, in Minute Maid Park with the, the Crawford boxes right there. You know, I, I mentioned that I thought the Yankees were going to get one of these short stops, um, and I leaned more towards Trevor Story just because he brought that little bit extra on the defensive side like Cashman was talking about. Um, and, and he's a guy who has shown a decent amount of power being able to go the other way. And I think just in that in that lineup in Yankee Stadium, he would, you know, the, the worries about Coors Field, especially with him dipping down this year, I think that was more of a product of just not really having anybody else in that lineup do much. Um, around him and, and protect him so they just weren't wanting to let him beat them um, so I, I think the Yankees are a, are a team to to look out for on Trevor Story they looked at him before the deadline um, for the trade deadline this year they they made a run at trying to trade for him before the for the Rockies you know decided not to do that um, so I see him going to the Yankees for an eight-year 200 million dollar contract yeah it'd be a very interesting move um, obviously I think the Yankees out there you know, there's five guys out there, and the Yankees are going to be begging all of them to sign there. So uh, they'll get one of them, and it very well could be Story. So, yeah, well, we'll look at the you know the last of the big five shortstops, and that's Javi Baez. Yeah, Javi Baez is one of the more polarizing players uh, for me on this list. He's a guy who is has an absolutely atrocious approach at the plate, but has been able to have success regardless and he's a very good defensive player um i actually have him re-signing with the mets although i don't especially feel like that makes too much sense for the mets because baez value is definitely highest when he plays short and obviously as the mets have francisco lindor playing short um you know baez would have to move off a of short play second or third I think he was playing second most of the time this year when, after he got traded there, but um, after the Lindor came back from injury. But um, I think Bias is a guy who – I think he wants to play with, with Lindor, and I think that, uh, you know, he's a guy the Mets are very um, – he's a very Mets type of player. He's got a lot of flash. He He's a lot of um, – you know, he's exciting. I think the Mets are, you know, really – uh, I think the Mets front office has been, for the last couple of years, has been really um, keen on trying to get more, more of those exciting flash-type players in there. And I think that he's a guy that I would look for as, as potentially being that type of player. So I think he's resigned. And I had him going for five years, $100 million. Although I will say that I wouldn't be shocked if Baez signed a really short, you know, like a one- or two-year contract for high value and hit the free agent market again. Because he, he did have a – he has had a couple of little – of a down years so it could be interesting to see there yeah so you know you pretty much summed up with javi baez um exactly what i was thinking and i actually have him going back to the mets for the exact same contract a five-year 100 million dollar contract i think it just makes too much sense for the you know for javi baez to go back to the mets especially playing with lindor um and then you know it seemed like at the towards the end of the year he and lindor kind of you know, after the whole thumbs down thing with the fans, they kind of got it going a little bit more. Um, and I think it just it, it will be, a, you know, the kind of hobby bias fit with in New York, a big, big stage, big media, even if it's not with the Yankees. So. But let's go ahead and move over to our, our first 
pitcher that we're going to talk about today, and that's going to be Marcus Stroman. Yeah, so uh, Marcus Stroman's a guy who's been a real successful pitcher. Um, he has been a heavy ground ball pitcher for most of his career with, with fairly low strikeouts and low walks. But this year, he started to get a little bit more swing and miss. He developed a little bit of a splitter. I was reading earlier about uh, you know how he kind of did that. And, um, definitely a guy who you could see him kind of coming into being you know the best part of his career now. Um, and I look at the Angels as a team that's going to have some money to spend. And they're a team that really aggressively needs pitching badly. And uh, Strowman's the perfect type of guy for, for, for the Angels to, uh, you know, to potentially, uh, you know, potentially, to potentially get. So um, I can see him as a, uh, you know, something like a five-year, $125 million contract. I know that sounds kind of high, but Strowman was actually really good this year. So, um you know, I could definitely see him getting something a little bit more than people are kind of expecting, and I think that he could end up being, you know, the kind of the top free agent signing out of all the pitchers this year. Yeah, Stroman, he's going to be one of the top free agent starters to go off the board. Um, the Angels are absolutely somebody that needs a lot of pitching um, help, and, and Stroman would fit quite nicely over there. Um, but I, I think that he's going to return to one of his, his former team of the Toronto Blue Jays. I had mentioned that they were, you know, there might be looking to go more towards the pitching side. Um, Stroman obviously still loves Canada a lot. You know, he's all over, always on social media talking about how he loved his time in Toronto, how he loves the fans and everything. And, and they seem to embrace him when all, you know, back on social media and stuff. And I, I just think that it makes too much sense. And then more of a, a storybook right here where he returns to Toronto after he got traded, but I have him going for a four year, $90 million deal. Yeah, that'd be really interesting. Um, I think that you know Toronto is a good fit for him still. Um, I mean, he's obviously a, a guy who, um, you know, he was very good there, and you know, returned there. What it's totally not out of the question because I think he was understanding of why he was traded too. That's kind of a big deal. Sometimes some of these guys who get traded don't really want to go back where they were traded from. They held a grudge a little bit, but I don't think that's the case with Strowman. So definitely be an interesting, an interesting choice. Absolutely. Well, let's go ahead and look at Chris Bryant um, from the uh, San Francisco Giants on where you think he will sign. Yeah, so Chris Bryant's a really interesting one uh, for, for many reasons. Um, the first being that he, while he was so good with his time with the Cubs for the first three or four years, you know, it, it, the shortened season 2020, he, he wasn't quite, quite as good. 2019, he struggled with some injuries. And then, um, you know, this year he was good, but he wasn't quite what he had been in the past with the, uh, you know, back with the, um, when he was with the, uh, with the Cubs. So definitely an interesting move here. And, and the other thing is that uh, Chris Bryant has so much positional versatility. Uh, he's a guy who can play outfield. He can play first base, third base. And I look at a team like the, the Mariners as a team that could use a guy who, can really play left field, third base. He can play anywhere at a, at a high level because they're losing, you know, Kyle Seager uh, at third base. And, you know, with the amount of players they have coming up, getting acclimated to the big leagues, you know, whichever ones kind of turn out to be really good, they can move Brian around to wherever they need the, 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 the player to need him to play. So say if, uh, you know, say, you know, Kalanick ends up being great in the outfield, 
you know, that Bryant can play third or, or if, you know, say they have their infielders, their young infielders end up playing really well and they need a corner outfielder because Kalanick hasn't done as well as, as, he, as he was expected to as a prospect, then maybe he ends up being a corner outfielder. So I think it's somewhere something where um, it's a great versatile pickup for, for a team that has a lot of options for a player. And the Mariners are a team that we were talking about being aggressively looking to spin. And I think that, you know, a six-year, $150 million contract could probably get the job done with Bryant. And uh, I think that would be a pretty nice pickup for the Mariners. Yeah, that would be really fun to watch. Chris Bryant in Seattle, you know, like I said, they're a team that I I really enjoy watching play. And and Bryant would be an amazing fit there. But uh, I have him returning to the San Francisco Giants. You know, he was a Bay Area kid, grew up as as a Giants fan. Um, and I just think the fit, you know, matches what he would want and they can use that versatility as well. You've seen him start in left field, right field, third base, um, you know, and have success there with the Giants. So I have him returning there on a five year, $115 million deal with the questions about his durability. Um, the past couple seasons, I think that might have hurt his value just a little bit. Um, and I think he might just take a little bit of a, uh, you know, a discount just to stay in San Francisco because, uh, you know, to kind of play at home. Yeah, that makes sense. I think, um, you know, I, I really did consider the, the Giants with him, but, you know, I just kind of thought of the fact that the Giants had kind of talked about prioritizing pitching, but, you, you know, you just kind of never know with, with them because when they say prioritizing pitching, they might go get four guys who are on one-year deals like they did this past year and end up being real successful with that. So, um you know, I, I think that I think that our reunion with with uh, San Francisco would be very very likely for Brian as well. Yeah, and they've been somebody that's really you know their offense is kind of what struggled this year. Their their pitching kind of was able to carry them. They were able to find you know Kevin Gossman and Anthony Discafani, a uh, you know Logan Webb's emergence, and I think their offense you know can you really hope from you know Brandon Belt being able to have hit this year he had Crawford having the year he had. Losing Buster Posey, um, if you know, to retirement, being able to his offense, he had one of his better offensive seasons ever. Mike Yastrzemski's really, you know, came back to earth the past couple seasons. Longoria's getting up there in age. They just have a lot of question marks around that offense. So, um, you know, being able to re-sign Chris Bryant, I I think that will, you know, really help them out. But let's go ahead and, and look over at probably the biggest free agent starter on the market, and that's Max Scherzer. Yeah, so for Max Scherzer, I have a hard time believing that the Dodgers aren't going to re-sign one of their pitchers. And I think Max Scherzer ends up being the guy they bring back. He was very good after coming back over to the Dodgers. Um, and the fact that I think the Dodgers have, for the past you know several years, been, been kind of um, keen on signing guys to a one-year uh, – or to, to short-term contracts with high AAV um, – you know, a, a annual value. I think that uh, Scherzer would be the type of player that would fall into that, with given his age. So I have him signing back with with Los Angeles Dodgers on a three year, seventy five million dollar deal. Yeah, like pretty much what you said. I have a hard time thinking that the Dodgers are going to let him go, um, especially you know with the question marks around their pitching staff as we sit right this second with losing Scherzer to the free agents, losing um, Kershaw out there as of right now, and. and and even with the bullpen losing Jansen. So I have him coming back to the Dodgers as well, but on a three-year $90 million deal, um, right around that $30 million a year mark that's supposedly something that Boris really wants him to hit is a is $30 million a year. And I think it kind of lines up because, you know, if if 
Bauer does end up being suspended and goes on the exempt list, that $36 million that he's going to be getting this year will come basically off the books. So Scherzer will basically just take over that salary from it. They already pretty much have it allocated to, to Bauer, and now it will just go to Scherzer pretty much. But so. But uh, anyways, let's go ahead and jump over to Kevin Gossman and where we think he will go. Yeah, so uh, Kevin Gossman has the the last two years with the shortened season being kind of his maybe turnaround. It, it maybe wasn't quite a breakout in the typical sense, but he really started to show his ability last year um, in, in that shortened season. And, you know, you look at the fact that um, – you know, coming back this year with the Giants, he accepted that qualifying offer and had a fantastic season. Uh, was an ace-level pitcher for most of the years. Struggled just a little bit in the second half compared to the first half, but, you know, was, was exceptionally good this year. Um, and, and I think that, you know, I think he's going to want to stick with the Giants because they kind of, you know, remade his career, turned him back into a, you know, turned him into what people kind of thought he could end up being. Back and back, and they were the kind of the team that unlocked that with him. So I think he's will show a lot of loyalty to the to the Giants for that reason. I uh, want to stay in their system, and I think he accepts a like a four year, sixty five million dollar deal. I think maybe his previous track record, um, you know, of, of only really having one, you know, breakout season, will probably hold his value back just a little bit. But, uh, you know, something like a four-year, $65 million contract would seem to make sense for me, for, for Kevin Gossman in a return to, to the Giants. Yeah, I seriously considered Gossman going back to the Giants, um, especially since he's had a lot of success there. Um, the ballpark kind of fits what he likes to do, and he's, he's you know, he seemed to really like the area in general. But I had him go into the Angels just because what we talked about, that they're going to have to get one of these bigger-name pitchers. Um, and with Stroman going back to Toronto and Scherzer coming back to to the Dodgers, I feel like Gossman would be the next guy the Angels would look at. Um, and I have him signing for for four years, seventy two million, so you know roughly about six million overall, more than what you had. But um, I just think he, he you know he's kind of going to be the guy that the Angels kind of feel fits them the best. Yeah, no doubt that that would be that be another really good fit for Gossman. Yeah, so we'll go on to uh, to Freddie Freeman, and I think we're both going to have him re-signing in uh, the Atlanta Braves. Yeah, I mean, Freddie Freeman's a guy who you just can't imagine him playing in a different uniform. He's coming off of a you know World Series, and um, you know the he's a, he's he's in the prime of his career right now. He won the MVP in, in 2020 in the shortened season. Uh, he's really the heart and soul of the Braves, and it's a situation where the Braves have lots of money right now to spend they, they're, they're supposedly you know having a fairly large increase in payroll after the world series win and you know freddie freeman was already being paid over 20 million dollars a year so you know just a little bit above that it's not a huge jump and i mean i think he's gonna test i think the braves are gonna let him test the market so they can see what the fair market value for him is and he takes something around that or maybe even a little bit less to return to atlanta and I have him something like a six-year, one hundred sixty-five million dollar deal, um, which is a very, which is a very substantial contract. At, you know, twenty-seven and a half million dollars per year, very high AAV, but you know, and, and probably one of the highest you would ever see for a for a uh, you know thirty-one-year-old first baseman. But um, you know, Freddie Freeman's the type of player that would be worth that. And the fact of the matter is that Freddie Freeman's got a type of game that, that will probably age pretty well. As, 
know, to go along with it. So he could definitely, I could definitely see him keeping his consistency going into his age 35, 36, 37 year old seasons. So I think a, a six year, $165 million deal, maybe even a little bit more than that money wise would make sense for Freddie. Yeah. I have Freddie returning to the Braves as well. You know, you, you, like you said, you can't imagine him being in any other uniform, um, but I have him coming back for a little less money. You know, the Braves have been really well about having their players take a little bit less money or, or taking, you know, a lot less money to, to kind of stay there or sign longer contracts. But uh, so I have him returning to six years, but for 150 million, you know, for an AAV of about $25 million a year. Um, I could see that being a deal that Freddie would accept. But uh, let's go ahead and move over and we'll look at one of the, probably the top utility bat. I mean, if you would say, um, you know, Chris Bryant would probably be more of a, a one position person if he signs somewhere more than utility but they could use it but um let's look at chris taylor and where we think he will go yeah chris taylor's a very interesting guy he um he had probably had the best season of his career this year um and he plays any position you want him to play which makes him more of a that traditional utility guy more so than bryant who can play you know first third play on the corners so i think i agree with you taylor really is more of the traditional utility bat type guy um but he's a he's a you know really good player he can play anywhere and i think a team like maybe the phillies would be a really good fit for him because they have a few different holes that they could maybe plug him in you know you, you can plug taylor in at shortstop the phillies have a hole at shortstop you can plug him in in center field the phillies have a hold in center field any of the corner outfielders they don't have a, a left fielder so you know chris taylor's a really good player to be able to kind of plug in wherever and um and be a you know be a really solid player and i think he would improve their defense wherever he's played at and would be a really nice pickup for the for the phillies i have him signing for something like a five-year 85 million dollar contract and i wouldn't be super shocked if he's not this year's kike hernandez who you know gets into more of a i mean taylor was really already playing every day but kind of more of the the a role that is kind of a star on the team type role and ends up having a really good season similar to what Kike Hernandez did so um, I have Chris Taylor in, in Philly for about five years won it for uh, 85 million dollars yeah Chris Taylor is a you know really fun player to watch he, he's somebody like you said can play everywhere plays 100% all the time um, I just think he's too valuable for the Dodgers to really let go especially letting Kike Hernandez go last year it kind of always felt like it was going to be one or the other that they were going to resign um, and pay and I think that Taylor has a has a good enough track record with the Dodgers about being able to play everywhere and consistently get consistent playing time that um you know that he he they're they're not gonna let him walk really. So I have him coming back on a five year, seventy five million dollar deal. Um, you know, possibly to to maybe even be a starting third baseman if we get the D H and with um, you know, maybe giving Turner some more days off over there. So It'll be uh, it'll be interesting to see what what Taylor's market's like because he could he could fit with pretty much any team and fit really well. Well, let's look over at Robbie Ray and where we think he will uh, he'll go. Yeah, so um, you know Robbie Ray, uh, you know he just had his breakout season, um, and I think he's a little bit similar to Gossman, um, except that I think Robbie Ray's been known to have the stuff that he's got now and he has kind of he's had a, a couple really good seasons in the past before 
this these past years, like where Kevin Gossman maybe, maybe not quite as much. He, he really was a true breakout, whereas Robbie Ray is kind of a resurgence. Uh, and he's better than he's ever been before, but he had already had a couple really good seasons. I have him going back to Toronto. I think they got enough money to spend. Um, and, you know, with, with, with his – with Robbie Ray, I mean, he's it's a little bit similar to that Gossman situation. Is that I think that a return to where they kind of unlocked – you know, unlocked what what was you know what what kind of made sense to him and what worked for him this year. I think a return there makes a lot of sense for Robbie Ray. He might favor going back there. And I have him actually. I mean, as a guy who's probably going to win the Cy Young Award in the American League, he's going to be a lot more pricey than, than Gossman. I have him signing for uh, six years, one hundred twenty-five million dollars. So pretty pretty hefty price. But I, I do have him going back to Toronto. Yeah, you know, Toronto would be a fantastic fit for him, especially, like you said, since he's most likely going to win the Cy Young this year, kind of go back to the place where you had your success. Um, but with, with them already, you know, in my mind, re-sign, or going back and getting Marcus Stroman, I uh, I put Robbie Ray going to Seattle um, for five years, $135 million. I said they were going to be a team that's going to be aggressive. Um, you know, earlier when, when I had them signing um, Marcus Simeon, I think that pitching rotation needs a little bit of help as well. You know, we have Marco Gonzalez, you have younger guys coming up, but if you can get a guy like Robbie Ray, who, you know, if he pitches like a top of the rotation guy, like he, like he should um, now that could be, you know, another step for Seattle to, to really make a move and make a run at maybe that NL West against that Houston and, and maybe even a, a deeper playoff run. So I'd be really interested to see what Robbie Ray could do with, uh, with the Seattle Mariners. But, uh, Let's go ahead and jump over to Nick Castellanos um, and where we think he'll go. Yeah, so Nick Castellanos is interesting. He just turned down that option. Um, and I I actually have him, and this is kind of a weird one, but I have him go to the Texas Rangers. Um, I, I think the Rangers are going to try to spend money this offseason. And I'm looking at a lot of these free agents that I think are probably not going to want to go you know, to a team that's most likely still rebuilding. But... I think it would make a little bit of sense for Nick Castellanos. It's a guy who, you know, he's probably going to get paid more by a team like the Rangers than he will get paid by, you know, a contender. I think he's probably on down the list for a lot of contenders because of the lack of defense he can play. But if you're the Rangers, he's a good bat to put in the middle of that lineup, good clubhouse presence. Um, and he's kind of shown the, the, that in the past he's been willing to sign with a team that wasn't especially expected to be, you know, the – best team in baseball or anything like like when he when he signed with the reds so um i think that castellanos the rangers makes a little bit sense i actually have him at four years for 85 million dollars i could definitely see him signing with a contender uh but for for whatever reason i just kind of thought that it you know the rangers need we're gonna spend money on somebody and on the list i just kind of came across castellanos and thought that he might be interesting for them so i went ahead and went with that yeah, Nick Castellanos, he's going to be one of the more interesting ones because, like you said, the lack of defense, um, but are we getting the, the universal DH this year? So will an NL team be able to to pl- pay up for that? Um, you know, What's he going to want contract-wise? What's he going to get contract-wise because of that lack of defense and maybe being a, a potential you know full-time DH? Um, so mine's a little bit weirder. I, I, I'm not very confident in it. But uh, I put him going down to the San Francisco Giants for a five-year, $100 million deal, um, right around that $20, you know, $20 million a year. I talked already about how their offense is going to be able to, you know, going to be taking a step back, losing Posey with Belt, Crawford, Longoria. Um, 
and if we definitely do get the the full-time dh i think nick castellanos adding him into that lineup like i said their offense has been one that struggled you know he's been one of the better hitters um the past couple years in baseball probably the past three or four years um he would kind of add another life to that offense um you know right there with chris chris bryan as well yeah it'd be definitely be interesting like i said i mean Castellanos is a guy who, if, if we get that universal DH, there's a lot of teams who could be in on him. But I, can, I just don't, I just don't know if he's at kind of at the top of the list for a lot of them. Like he just seems to me like a guy who is going to be one of those, like he would be the prized free agent of the offseason for a team like the Rangers. So they'll probably go high on him. But I just don't think he, I don't think he's going to get quite the financial what he's going to want from some of the more contending teams. Like a lot of these teams that are signing, I have signing like Correa, Seager, Simi, like I just don't know. But um, the Giants would make sense. I mean, and, and the fact of the matter is everyone needs a bat, you know. So right. um, you just don't, you know, you just don't know where you're going to put him. So uh, a National League team makes a lot of sense for Castellanos because, you know, the potential that those spots are open for, for like a DH. So um, definitely interesting, interesting place there. And, and also the fact that he can man a corner outfield. He's not like David Ortiz in his later years where he just could not play a position. Like, he can man a corner outfield at a subpar level, but he's not, you know, he's not very good out there. So, um, we'll see what maybe maybe happens with Castellanos. I think it'll be an, it'll be an interesting one to watch. He absolutely will be. Well, uh, let's jump over. We got two more um, free agents on our list, but uh, the first of those being Starling Marte. Yeah, so uh, I have Starling Marte. We're looking at uh, I'm looking at the Mets for him. The Mets badly need a center fielder, you know, because Nemo is really not a good defender there, and they can slide Nemo over because Conforto is a free agent. And I think Starling Marte makes a lot of sense. Um, you know, he is kind of up there in age for a free agent. I think he's 32 or 33 years old. So uh, I have him getting a shorter deal, but a four-year, $85 million deal coming off the best season of his career. I don't know if he's a player that's going to age especially well because of, you know a lot of his skill is tied up in his speed. But um, you know he's definitely a guy who, for a couple more years, can play center field at a pretty good level and uh, gives you a lot of excitement and speed and um, you know a good play a good center field and, and give you a nice bat in that lineup too. I think that, that makes a lot of sense for him to go to the Mets. Yeah, the Mets are a team that could that could really use him. Um, you know, especially if if they do lose Conforto, you can put Nimmo back in uh, in right field and, and let him play over there and get a true center fielder. Even though Nimmo's been really good the past couple of years defensively, um, but I have him going to another NL East team, and that's the Phillies. Um, you know, they're a team that has really you know, battled with trying to find a true center fielder, um, and Marte could do that for the you know for him for two to three years. And, let them find somebody else and then move him over to left field probably for a year or two. Um, but I have him going for a four year, $65 million deal. I'm just not quite sure what he's going to get overall money wise, just being that older kind of a free agent, um, you know, an older center fielder, I should say, you know, for a free agent market and that, you know, the decline is coming sometime soon since his number one thing has been speed for so long. Um, he's turned into a, a better power hitter the last couple of years, but, um, you know, I, I could see him being a, a center fielder for two of the three or two to four or the two of the four years and then maybe sliding over to a corner for, for you know, those last couple of years or so. But uh, I think Philly would be a good fit for him. So 
let's go ahead and move on to the last person on our list. And that's, uh, we wanted to add one relief pitcher and then, you know, Kenley Jansen is, is probably the top reliever, but we think this guy's probably going to get a longer and more lucrative contract. And that's Rysel Iglesias. Yeah. So on that decision, you know, Kenley Jansen being an older guy, um, you know, and having a little bit of a couple hiccups the last couple of years, although he looked really good down the stretch this year, a little bit difficult, um, to project him to be higher, but Rizal Iglesias is a little younger, coming off his career year. Um, actually, the Braves signing Rizal Iglesias, I think the Braves have a little bit of extra money to spend this year, and I think that he's a guy who fits perfectly with the Braves' need in the bullpen. They need a good right-handed reliever. Uh, they do have Luke Jackson, but he's really their only one, and he's not, you know, like a lockdown hut guy. And I think that Rizal Iglesias with a lot of closing experience makes sense for the Braves too because while Will Smith did really well in the postseason, uh, Will Smith also had a lot of hiccups this year, and there's reason to believe he's not quite the type of uh, you know closer that a contending team would like to have. So you know I look at Rizal Iglesias as a guy maybe signing something similar to what Will Smith signed a few years ago. I have him at three years, $35 million, and I think the Braves have an, are going to have a little bit of extra payroll space to, to spend in the offseason. And I think that he's a, a, a you know a pretty good uh, you know pretty good way to spend that money. Yeah, Glacius is one of the more interesting ones because you know he's probably the the best closer out there. Depending on what you think of of Kenley Jansen, he's you know definitely going to be the best one for longer term. Um, and a team that I think just really struggled with their bullpen, especially this year. Um, and and you know their their closer is a little bit of an older guy, and that you know maybe Glacius is able to come in and take that closing spot because their closer has, has worked as an eighth inning guy before, or they could, you know, flip them around. But I, I have Iglesias going to the Padres. Um, there's somebody that's really struggled with pitching, especially in that bullpen. It was really awful this year. Um, and, and, you know, Emilio Pagan's just not really the guy that they were hoping he would be for that seventh, eighth inning bridge to a guy like Mark Melanson. Um, and, you know, if you're going to want to compete in that NL West, you're going to have to be able to close games out late in it. Um, and, and even if they're being close games, so Iglesias is a guy who can work as a, a seventh guy, a eighth, seventh or eighth inning guy, or he could even close if Melanson, um, you know, will jump over to the eighth inning or something, or, or they can just use whoever's the best matchup at the time. But uh, I think Rysel Iglesias would be a great fit for the Padres. Yeah, he would make a lot of sense for them. So especially with losing Melanson to free agency. Oh, is Melanson a free agent too? I didn't even notice that. I believe so. Oh, he is. Huh. Well, there you go. He doesn't even have to worry about Melanson sliding to the eighth inning. Then he'd be uh, he'd take over the closing role right away. So, uh, just quickly because um, you know award season's coming up, and I know we've gone long, but we wanted to to kind of just mention it, and we don't have to go so in depth. We can talk about it more next week. Um, but rookie of the year awards are going to be announced by the time we we record our next episode. So we just kind of wanted to give you who we think would be the winners. Um, in the American League, the finalists are Randy Rosarena, Wander Franco, and uh, Astros pitcher Luis Garcia. And then in the National League, the finalists are Dylan Carlson, Jonathan India, and Trevor Rogers. So uh, when it comes to the American League, I think that my pick, uh, my pick is probably Wander Franco, but I think he will be the pick. Um, you know, I think especially with the prospect pedigree that he had coming up and the the season he had down the stretch uh, with that long base streak he had and kind of leading that front lineup. I think both of the other guys, especially Randy Rosarena, 
who got a lot of hype for this award coming into the season, had fantastic years. You might give them a little bit of a nod due to the fact that they were both there entire, the entire season, whereas Franco came up mid-season. But um, I think, you know, Wander Franco is probably my choice here. He was definitely looked like – he definitely was the best player of the three, but he just didn't play quite as long. So I think Wander Franco is the guy. Yeah, I would I would lean probably Randy Rosarena just because he had that full season. You know, if Franco had come up maybe even a month earlier, um, I, I it would give I'd give him the award. It's really close between them, but I think just given the nod that Rosarena had been there the entire season, um, is probably going to give him the nod for for Rookie of the Year if I had to to pick one. But if I uh if we're gonna look over at the National League um, award. I think that's Jonathan India's award to lose. He was so good this year. He, uh, you know, being the leadoff guy for the uh, for the Cincinnati Reds, locking down that second base spot. Um, you know, I he had been a, a really good prospect coming up, but I don't think anybody expected him to have the type of season he even had this year. Um, and really gave the player a red, or really gave the Reds a player to look forward to as they're going into kind of this uh, rebuild scenario. Yeah, and I I just I I totally agree that. India probably wins the award. I would give a little bit more consideration to uh, Trevor Rogers than it sounds like. It sounds like everyone's kind of thinking India's kind of a runaway, which I think he is because I think that's how people are going to vote. But I would give a little bit of consideration to Trevor Rogers because when he pitched, he was incredible this year uh, for a guy who kind of came out of nowhere. He's, he's, he was a high-rated prospect, but maybe not like a he wasn't like a top twenty prospect in baseball or something. And, uh, but yeah, Jonathan India had a fantastic season. I think he will be the pick there, but. Uh, Definitely, definitely good for him. And then uh, the other two award, the other award that's going to be given out for our next episode is Manager of the Year. Just briefly mentioning, um, I don't think we even had this written down to to talk about, but uh, I was going to mention. Uh, I think the NL would be Gabe Kapler with the season he had with the Giants, and you know, kind of put together that run that they had. And then for the AL, I think Alex Cora. You know, they've really exceeded expectations this year, making it to the. Uh, American League Championship Series, so, but which, but of course, you know, the fact that they were both projected to be 500 teams at best coming in, and then ended up in, you know, being two of the better teams in baseball, I think is going to get them the nods this year. Oh, Alex Cora isn't even a finalist, by the way. Is he um, not? No, it's Dusty Baker, Kevin Cass, and Scott Service. Wow, I, well, I, it'll go to Scott Service then because of the season that Seattle had, but man, I, I really don't understand. I guess they don't like him because of the, you know, the cheating allegations from a couple of years ago, but I really don't understand how you couldn't have Alex Cora. I mean, it's obvious that in 2018, you know, they didn't have, Al- or 20, in 2019, 2018, they had Alex Cora and they went to the world series and won the world series in 2018, 2019. They had him and were really good. 2020, all of a sudden, they don't have him and they suck. And then 2021, they have him again and he's good. They're good again. So it kind of would make sense to me. But I, I thought he was a finalist. But I'm mistaken. But uh, I would go with Scott Service for sure. Then even though they didn't make the playoffs, that was an incredible run the Mariners had this year with the with the talent they had. Real similar, honestly, because you look at Cora, you look at Cora and Kapler as two guys who exceeded expectations, and and obviously Service might have exceeded expectations more so than either one of those guys did. So. Um, definitely, definitely deserving for him as well. Yeah, I would have Scott Service in the American League as well, just for everything you just said. And the National League, it, it's going to be Gabe Kapler just because of the the run that they made. You know, being the the team that most people didn't even think were going to make the playoffs, and being the best team in baseball. But a, a not a little part of me, a big part of me wants this award to just be, go to Mike Schilt after they fired him, um, just as one little like 
middle finger to the to the St. Louis Cardinals of like, hey, you just had the manager of the year in the National League, and then you just fired him because you weren't a, uh, you know, you didn't see eye to eye on stuff. Yeah, and Mike Schilt honestly makes sense because that team was probably worse once you got into the season and you saw the talent that the Giants really did have. I mean, that team was really probably not as talented as the Giants, and they scraped together a second half. That clubhouse kept together, and and they and and, and Schilt led them to the playoffs. So that, I mean, that really had. does make sense that 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 Schilt could win the award. Although Kapler's easily going to win it. Yeah. Uh, Schilt, it would make a lot of sense, honestly, for Schilt to, to win that award. But yeah, um, absolutely definitely interesting. But uh, next week, we'll look up the MVP awards, the Cy Young awards. We'll preview those um, and then give you a rundown of how kind of the voting stuff went for these awards. And anything that happens uh, going up into the, uh, you know, we'll give you the final uh, you know, qualifying offer decisions. I don't expect anybody else would, ex- um, you know, accept or decline really outside of the, the guys we mentioned. But uh, we'll give you that next week. And then, uh, you know, any anything else that's happening, it's offseason time. So we don't really know what, uh, what we're going to be talking about from week to week. So. You want to wrap up on anything? Um, I think uh, I think we're good here. Um, like I said before, um, there's a lot of big names this offseason. You know, we went down that long list, and we didn't even mention some guys. I mean, Clayton Kershaw's a free agent. Uh, Kenley Jansen's a free agent. Anthony Rizzo's a free agent. Uh, Justin Verlander. Verlander's a free agent. Uh, even guys like Brandon Belt, uh, you know. Porto. Conforto, Rodon. Carlos Rodon, Noah Syndergaard, John Gray, all these guys are going to sign pretty lucrative contracts. Uh, this is a really good and deep free agent class. And it will be interesting to see how things end up going with, um, you know, with the, with the CBA and when guys might sign. I, I think some of the top players are probably going to wait while some of the mid range players probably sign fairly early, but, um, and then, you're, you know, they're also going to have guys like, you know, like, like Jorge Soler was the MVP of the, world series this year uh you know some of those those types of players mark melanson who's a really good veteran reliever uh and then you got to you know some of some of those lower key signings andrew mccutcheon who's a longtime veteran player who is at times been mvp level player you're gonna have a lot of those types of guys and then you've got the one, one other guy the japanese uh Seiya suzuki it's gonna be very interesting to watch to see where he signs because a lot of people are really high on him come over and be a and be a uh, high level major leaguer so we'll see what ends up happening it's gonna be very interesting off season and uh i'm uh, i'm excited to see uh how, how it goes so i really am too so thank you guys for tuning into this episode of the bat flip podcast and we'll catch you guys next week thanks everybody